1 Corinthians 7. Today we're going to begin a, a new series we're calling, uh, calling I Was Wondering. Did you see that on your bulletin? I Was Wondering. Ever wondered what the Bible has to say about different topics or subjects? You know, a couple of weeks ago, we put some surveys in your bulletin and asked you uh, to fill it out. We asked this question, what are some topics or life's challenges you would like a sermon preached on? And, of course, there was a, a litmus of them. Uh, of, I mean, there's a list of different topics. And, you know, I thought, I need to go back to those topics and, and just pull out some sermon series out of, out of the Resource Center. And just so, because it's, I mean, it's, it's vast. But, you know, uh, by far the most requested topic or challenge that people in this congregation are facing, which was not a shock to me, has to do with marriage. You know, how many of you are not shocked by that? And so, you know, people are saying, hey, could you talk about marriage? You ever wondered what the Bible has to say about marriage? How many of you know the Bible has a lot to say about marriage? And, uh, you know, uh, first of all, uh, Paul said, you know, when you look at the scripture to see what the Bible says about marriage, first of all, Paul said, uh, that's not good to get married. So, Lord, where are we going with this? You know, Paul said that. He said, it's not good to get married. That was a great encouragement to me when I was single. <laughs> you know, it's like, for real, Lord, it's not good to get married, you know. And uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1, I want to prove that. I'm not telling you a, a line here. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1, he says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. And you can put woman in there. It's not just men. He's talking about the human race, right? Paul encouraged the unmarried and the widows to stay single. In verse 8, he says, But I say to the unmarried and the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now some say, that's my out right there. I'm burning. I'm burning, yes. So why would Paul encourage the unmarried and the widows to stay unmarried if they were unmarried? He said, man, don't get married. Just stay like you are if you can make it. Why? Verse 28, he says, if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have troubles in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. <laughs> how about that? Huh? Now, how many of you greatly encouraged this morning? Those of you that are married, you know. He said, yeah, you're going to have some trouble if you get married. Now, how many married people would say amen? Paul encourages the unmarried and the widows to stay unmarried because marriage will bring troubles. It's hard work, isn't it? Marriage is often the source of most of life's troubles and hardships. Isn't that true? You heard about that couple? You know, they just got married. They were newlyweds and... Uh, you know, he was working late, and they were supposed to go to dinner with some friends, and he called, and he said, honey, I'm running late. Uh, as soon as I get in the house, uh, you know, put my clothes out, and I'm going to jump in the shower, wash up real quick, and we're going to make it to the restaurant. And so he gets there, he opens the door, he says, honey, once you get the car started while I go shower? And so she went in the garage and started the car while he showered, and he came out of the shower. She said, honey, I got bad news. He said, what? I started the car, and I closed the door. I locked the keys in it. And he said, boy, you are sure beautiful, but you are stupid. <laughs> yeah, not good, right? And she said, well, the way that I see it, God made me beautiful so you would be attracted to me. 
And God made me stupid so I'd be attracted to you. <laughs> ah, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Let's close in prayer. Amen. <laughs> so isn't it true that marriage can be hard work and troublesome? You know, however, a good marriage can be the greatest source of blessing in your life. Amen? Proverbs 18.23 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, a bad marriage, somebody said, can be the closest thing to hell on earth. But a good marriage can be the closest thing to heaven on earth. Amen? And I believe it's possible for good marriages to get better, to get great. Good marriages can become great. Bad marriages can become good and then become great. Amen? You all agree with that? I believe it's possible for our marriages to turn around. And uh, Jesus said, you know, somebody, I heard somebody say in their mind, you don't know my marriage. But this is what Jesus said. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. How many of you believe that? With God, all things are possible. But the key is to allow the Lord to transform our marriages. That's a great hope. The Bible is good news. Amen. And so today we're going to look at some God's building blocks to a great marriage. And it don't matter if you've just been married, you've been married a long time. You know, I find it's just like, you know, just like priorities, it moves around. Your marriage doesn't just get on cruise control and just stay good. It takes work, doesn't it? And God has some principles in His Scripture to help us build a great marriage. And so we want to look at some building blocks that God gives us in His Word to a great marriage. The first building block is building your marriage on a Christian foundation, which you would say, well, duh, I know that. To have a strong marriage, Christ must be the center of your marriage. Not going to church. Christ has to be the center of your house. Not praying a prayer at the altar one day. Christ has to be the center of your life. God's foundation for a strong marriage is Christianity. It's Christ in the center. In Matthew 19 and verse 4, Jesus, uh, and he answered and said to him, If you not read, he who created them uh, from the beginning made them male and female. God created marriage to be male and female. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. How many of you know only God can take two totally independent personalities with different visions, different focuses, different lives, and make them one strong, inseparable unit? Only God can do that. But God can do that. Amen. And so a marriage is only as strong as the husband and wife's relationship with God. The stronger your relationship with God, the stronger your marriage can become. And you know what I think what happens a lot of times is that even as Christians, we, we get saved, we get married, and then we start having trouble in our marriage, and we think all our focus goes on our marriage, especially our spouse. And what that does is it gets our eyes and focus off of Jesus and that's the solution to our marriage getting better. You know, you have God, you have the husband, you have the wife, and only as you get closer to God will you get closer together. Amen? Now listen, if one of you gets closer to God and the other one, you don't get closer together. You might get further apart. 
You both have to go towards God. Isn't that right? Now, why should our purpose, why should we purpose to build our marriage on a Christian foundation? Well, a Christian marriage has the ability to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Where a non-Christian marriage doesn't. A non-Christian marriage is totally ruled and empowered by the carnal, fleshly nature. And how many of you know that's not good when that's operating in your marriage? And so Galatians 6, 7 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows. In other words, what he plants, this will he also reap. That's what he's going to harvest. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here's the contrast between the person being influenced by the Spirit and the flesh. Our fleshly evil nature will release corruption and evil into our marriages. However, the Holy Spirit will release the life and blessing of God. Now, which marriage do you think has a better chance? The one dominated with a fleshly, carnal, evil nature or the one dominated by the Spirit of God? I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer, right? So which better describes you as a spouse? Are you more of a fleshly, controlled spouse or a Holy Spirit-controlled spouse? You know, let's take a personal test. This is what the fleshly controlled spouse looks like. Because I know if we asked each other, we would give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I'm a spirit-filled husband. I'm a spirit-filled wife. I mean, I can quote verses and I, I pray in tongues. But how many of you know that's not necessarily the answer right there? Amen. Come on, are y'all with me? You can pray in tongues one minute and curse the next minute. Amen. All right, I'm meddling now. This is what the fleshly controlled spouse looks like. Galatians 5.19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. How you doing so far? That's the behavior of someone who's fleshly controlled. And then, this is the spiritually controlled spouse. But the Holy Spirit, verse 22, produces this kind of fruit in the, our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me read it again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're fleshly driven and controlled, you're going to be harsh, immoral, impure, impatient, quarreling, unloving, angry, and selfish. You know why this, you know why this resides in a marriage? Carnally controlled. You'll never have a great marriage as long as your flesh dominates your life. But if, you're holy, if the Holy Spirit is controlling your life... You can be kind, you can be patient, you can be loving, you can be gentle, you can be faithful, you can be self-controlled. And you'll enjoy a marriage that will be blessed by the character and the nature of God. Amen? Do you see that? You see, so that coming to church is not what it's about. It's surrendering. It's having the Spirit of God change your personality. Amen? That's what it's about. It's whenever your life becomes conformed to the image of Christ. That's Christianity. And a Christian Mary, marriage consists of both a Christian husband and a Christian wife. 
Just because one's a Christian doesn't mean it's your marriage is going to rock. If you're in that marriage, you have to pursue Christ just like your spouse does. And my encouragement today is get our focus off of our marriage and get them on Christ and pursue Christ and let the Spirit of Christ begin to release over our marriage. And I believe Christ can do what man could never do and change our marriage around. Amen. Can I get a better amen? That's why you should fast and pray. You know, listen, there's no reason why a husband and wife should not participate in prayer and fasting next week if they're arguing and fighting all the time in their marriage, if their marriage is not where they want it. There's no reason. Because God can change it. Amen? Say, but what if my wife don't want to? What if my husband don't want to? You are 50% of your marriage. So I encourage you, you pursue God. God will answer your prayer. Remember the friends that had the, uh, the guys that had a friend and they put him through the roof of the, of, the, of the house where Jesus was preaching? God healed that man because of their faith. Amen. All right. The second building block for a great marriage is building a marriage that establishes biblical order. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. God has a divine order for marriage, just like he has a divine order for creation. What would happen if the sun and the moon would get mixed up? And the moon would stay out more than the sun. And we lost the divine order. What if the plants quit putting out oxygen? And they started putting out carbon monoxide. We would die off. Order brings the divine blessing and provision of God. Come on, are y'all with me out there? And divine order yields God's grace and His peace. And there's divine order in the marriage. Ephesians gives us the divine order of marriage in Ephesians 5 and verse 22. Here's a great, you know, I encourage you, read 1 Corinthians 7. I encourage you, read Ephesians 6, Ephesians 5. These passages of Scripture deal with marriage. And it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So Paul says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now somebody said, you didn't just say that. In our society today, whenever I do a wedding, I've watched the face of people whenever I say, now in the marriage, there's divine order, and, and husbands, you're the head of the marriage. I can see the squirms and, the, and I see the tomatoes flying, although there's none. And, and so he says, The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And then Paul exhorts the wives to be subject to their husbands as the church. So here's the biblical order. Husbands are to take the role and responsibility of leadership or headship by providing providing loving, godly leadership in the marriage. Head meaning someone in primary role and place of responsibility. Now God could have did it the other way and say, wives, you be the head. But God decided the man was going to be the head. Maybe there's a reason for that. And then he says, wives, he says, you are to willingly submit and follow the leadership of your husbands. Subject means to obey or to be under. Now, there's two misconceptions of this biblical order in marriage. That's why it's not popular today. Number one, wives think that by submitting to their husband's leadership, it will cause them to become their husband's doormat or servant. And it's usually based on fear of being uh, taken advantage of or abused. And sometimes 
It will hinder the wife from getting into biblical order. And I've, I've heard it. Over my dead body will I let anybody rule me. But you know what? You know most of the time where this comes from? Is ladies that watch their mothers be abused by their daddy. And they said, I, I am not going to let no man do to me what my daddy did to my mama. Or they were in a bad relationship and a male took advantage of them and abused them. And they said, I'm not letting that happen anymore. And then they get married and they come in that marriage with that attitude. And you'll never have biblical order as long as you have that attitude. You've got to be willing to submit to the leadership of the husband. Don't allow fear or past hurt to keep you from establishing biblical order in your marriage. Amen? And remember who you're submitting to. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord means for the Lord's sake. As, as to the Lord means in obedience to the Lord's command or desire. And so whenever you do this, you do it. That's what God wants me to do. And as long as you do what God wants you to do, God will bless that. Amen? Obeying or submitting or allowing your husband to provide leadership and you submitting to it will release God's anointing, God's covering, and God's protection over your life. I heard one amen there. God will always handsomely reward obedience. How many of you know that? Now, here's the second misconception. Husbands thinking that being the head means they have the right to control and abuse their wives. Sometimes men take the scripture and use it like a hammer, especially this verse. They don't know any other verse in the Bible except that one. And they quote it very often. Now, that will motivate your wife, dude. I mean, that will go a long way. But now listen. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. They don't really focus on that part. They, they very uh, casually overlook that part. And so he says, look, the example to provide leadership for your wife is Christ laying down his life for the church. Now let me ask you, did Jesus... Treat the church in a controlling and abusive way? Is that how he treats us? How does he treat us? He serves us. That's what the scripture says, Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. How many of you know servant leadership is the best leadership? Amen? And so remember, a husband's responsibility is to provide loving, sacrificial giving leadership to his wife. Amen? Here's another challenge for biblical order in the marriage, and it's this. The tendency of the husband to passively relinquish his responsibility and leadership in the family. And that's, that's part of the curse. And that's what happened to Adam in the garden. Remember after the fall, uh, Genesis 3, now the Lord God called a man, where are you? He, he held the man responsible. You're the leader. You're responsible. And in verse 12, the man said in Genesis 3, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. There you go, dude, right there. That's, that's, a, man, that's a man of God right there. And so Adam represents the tendency of every husband 
to passively relinquish his responsibility and leadership in the marriage. How can a lady follow somebody who's not leading? Come on, are y'all with me? So, you got you to provide leadership. And, and listen, men, it's a curse on us to just relinquish the leadership and let our wives wear the pants, make all the decisions, tend to the kids, tend to the house, wash all the clothes, do everything while we watch NFL. Oh, I better keep going. Challenge number two, the tendency of the wife is to want to rebel against the male leadership and be independent of her husband's leadership. That's the other part of the curse. Genesis 3.16, then he said to the woman, you will bear children with intense pain and suffering, and, and though your desire will be for your husband, he will be your master. Your desire will be for your husband. I believe, I don't think that means sexually. I think like she wants to handle up on him. That's my, my thinking. But he will be your master. That's why I think that. So part of the curse is for wives to desire to control their husband. It's a natural tendency for some wives to want to be the boss of the family and want to be the one to establish everything. And they got it. They got it going on. That's not biblical order. And so husbands and wives have to walk in their God-given roles and responsibilities to have biblical order and blessing in their marriage. Amen? Are you all with me out there? And so it's just like if the sun and the moon get mixed up, if we don't have biblical order, if we don't have men taking the leadership lovingly, sacrificially, how did Jesus establish his leadership in the church? By his sacrifice, by his compassion, by his giving. Amen? And then the role of the wife is to follow that leadership. Suppose the church said, I don't need Christ. I'm going to do it on my own. I got it. That wouldn't be good, would it? And so two questions to ask ourselves as husbands, are you providing that leadership and wives, are you willing to follow it? See, I believe that this is, this is totally against the grain of our society, that we have to fight as part of the curse. It's our natural tendency to do this stuff. Amen? And the only way we're going to turn it around is we got to have the Spirit of God and the grace of God working in our lives to get in our role so that God's blessing and provision will flow over our marriage. Amen. The third building block for a great marriage is implementing biblical instruction. If you want a great marriage, follow what the Bible tells you to do. Husbands, find out what the Bible tells you to do and do it. Wives, same thing. And so let's look at what the Bible instructs husbands and wives to do. Number one, for husbands, he says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Paul says, you must love your wife like Christ loved the church. What does that mean? How does Christ love the church? By forgiving us when we sin? By protecting us from evil and harm? Providing our physical needs? Encouraging us when we're emotionally down? And so on and so forth. Jesus was more concerned with lovingly meeting our needs than selfishly being concerned with his own needs. I'm going I'm to say that again because it's really powerful. Jesus was more concerned with lovingly meeting our needs than selfishly being concerned with his own needs. This is a picture of how we're supposed to treat our wives. 
being more concerned with their needs than our own needs. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envy. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Man, that passage of Scripture right there will mess me up more times. It's just like, just when I think I have an excuse to have an attitude. I read that scripture and it just knocks that attitude right out the window. Come on, are y'all with me out there? That'll help you at work too. The instruction number two for husbands is live with your wife in an understanding way. 1 Peter 3, there's another great passage of scripture. 1 Peter 3 about marriage there. It says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding ways with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So Paul says we need to live with our wives in an understanding way. Understanding means to be considerate of. And so considered means to be concerned with how she feels, let her express her own thoughts and feelings and and how she thinks to allow her to make some decisions. Yeah. You know, some people just like, you know, they're so so twisted on this that that they feel like their wife can't have a say-so. That's crazy. That's, that's ludicrous, amen? And he says you've got to be considerate. Weaker means, he says, consider her as a weaker vessel. And it doesn't mean inferior or less valuable. But what it does mean is to treat her more emotionally fragile and having less, physical, less physically, physical strength or stamina than you. In other words, treat her like a rose that needs to be treated very delicately and sensitively and compassionately. You know, I just had this thought. Tanya is probably going to take this sermon and play it in the house this week. <laughs> she's she's going to say, say, man, you said some good stuff this week, Pastor Todd. Listen to this. Man, isn't this tough? Isn't this hard? Well, that's what it means. She's like a rose that needs to be treated delicately and sensitively. Paul says, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Show her honor means to put a great value and worth on something. And so Paul exhorts husbands to put great worth and value in our wives. And he says, so your, so your prayers will not be hindered. You know, it's just like I have a daughter, right? And so like, that's my daughter. Do I need to say any more? And so God says, your wife is my daughter. Do I need to say anything else? Amen? So he says, treat her right, okay? So that you can spiritually do good. That's what he's basically saying, right? And so now, you know, I was thinking a a while back, this has been quite a long time ago, like 10 years or more. I was in a lobby waiting for somebody that was having surgery, and there was an elderly man in the lobby. It was just him and I, and we were talking. And uh, we got to talking, and he retired from, you know, school, like he was a teacher or something. And uh, through the conversation, I found out he was, he'd been married like 57 years. I thought, man, that is a long time. You know, I said, man, how did you do that? How did you, how did you keep your marriage on track for so long? 
So he must have did something right. He said, well, no, actually I did a lot of wrong things. He said, you know, when I first got married, we had four children. I let my wife do all the work around the house, do all that, yada, yada. And he said, basically, I was just about my career, my hobbies, and I just really... And he said, I don't know, I just woke up one day and realized, man, you know, I saw my wife and saw her beat down, and I just like, wow, I need to help her out. And he got this revelation. And while he was sharing it with me, it's just like, wow, man, I just thought, if we get the proper revelation of how we're supposed to treat each other in a marriage, man, where could our marriages go? What could happen in our marriages if we really, if the light came on? You know, and then now to instructions to the wives, it says, wives, respect your husbands. In verse 23, again, I say to each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Why does this Bible specifically instruct the husbands to love their wives and the husband's uh, their husbands to love their wives and the wives to respect their husbands because it's, a, it's our natural tendency not to do those things. Men have a great need to be respected just as women have a great need to be loved. And when men are not respected, their natural reflex is to stop loving. And when women don't feel loved, their natural reflex is to disrespect their husbands. And Dr. Emerson in his book, Love and Respect, he calls this the crazy cycle. And, and I read the book, and Tanya and I, I've noticed this. This is me. If, I, if, if Tanya does anything that I think, even think is disrespectful, my natural tendency is to pull back, withhold love. And I believe it's the same for ladies. If they don't feel love, their natural tendency is to disrespect. And so, we withhold love, they disrespect. They disrespect, we withhold love. And it's craziness in the house. Amen? We're smart people that are living in craziness in our house. And so Dr. Emerson says, how are we going to break that cycle? Somebody's got to be mature and not punch back. Amen? Who's going to start? The one more mature. So we decide who that is. So respect means... You know, talking and treating your husband with kindness and gentleness. It means allowing him to provide leadership without fighting his every decision, overriding his decision. It means not criticizing him in the front of others, cutting him down, degrading him. It means showing appreciation for what he contributes to you and your family. And there's lots of definitions you can use for respect, but basically... We have a tendency to respond to respect just like ladies have a tendency to respond to unconditional love. So if you want more love from your husband, treat him with more respect. Amen? And you say, no, I'm I'm disrespecting because he's not loving it. That's not going to work. Haven't you tried that for 10 years? That's not going to work. Amen? But in our minds, that's what we think. And so the second instruction for wives is to adorn yourself with beauty. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 6 says, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing 
your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husband. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Boy, that's, that's pretty powerful. Now, in a day where all of the focus is the adornment of hair, the clothes, the jewelry, and all that, we are an outward adorned society. The Scripture's saying, don't put as nearly much time as that as you do your inner beauty. That will do more for your marriage than anything else. Paul, now, brush your teeth, comb your hair, you know. You know, that, that'll really help too. You know, so Paul tells wives to focus more on their inner beauty than their outward beauty. And he says that inner beauty is a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know what? We have limited control over our physical beauty, but we have unlimited control over our, our inner beauty. Amen? Paul says the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. How? Through their character. And Paul even goes on to say that if you have a lost husband, you can win him to Christ by your inner beauty. In verse 1 and 2 he says, in the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news... Your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Wow. Paul says you, um, you won't even have to preach to them. You won't even have to say anything. Your behavior is going to minister to them. Amen? So that's instructions. And that's not it. I encourage you to go back and read over that. And ponder it. Study it. And listen, don't read it for your wife. Man, this, this is what my wife's supposed to... No, no. Don't read it for your husband. No. Read it for yourself. Amen. You're 50% of that marriage. Amen. If you improve, your marriage is improving. Amen. The fourth building block of a great marriage is promoting and protecting harmony in the home. You know, I, I always thought, you know what? I'd rather be single and lonely than married and miserable. Because I've met a lot of miserable married people. It's all right to say amen. How many of you just think that's probably right? Amen. I'd rather be single and lonely than married and miserable. You know, there's the divorce rate is over 50%. But on top of that, there's a lot of miserable husbands and a lot of miserable wives. There's no harmony in the home. And the scripture says, 1 Peter 3 and 8, Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love his brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And so Paul reminds us, we are to strive for and really live for harmony in the home. Amen. Say amen with me. Amen. That's a good pursuit, isn't it? Live 
with harmony in the home. You know, some of us learn conflict, and we like uneasy if we ain't got a good fight going on. Isn't that true? It's like, oh, it's too peaceful in here. Come here, honey. You know, let <laughs> me start a fight here. That's craziness. Amen. We need to pursue harmony. And you know what? Listen, it's hard for a fight to persist if you take off the boxing gloves. If you refuse to fight. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to him, Every kingdom divided against itself would be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself would not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? A house divided against itself won't have the blessing of God in it. Amen? I mean, you know, people people suffer physical ailments because they have no harmony in their marriage. Physical have, people have physical problems, they have mental problems, they have psychological problems because there's no harmony. Listen, we need to break the spirit of hostility and conflict over our homes. Amen. Come on. We can't let the enemy bring division in our house. we got to rise up against it and say, no, I'm not going to take the opportunity to keep this fight going. I'm going to, def- I'm going to defer myself, and I'm going to bring unity in my family through my behavior. Amen. Come on, are y'all with me out there? And so listen, you know, the quickest way to diffuse a conflict is through forgiveness. Forgiveness diffuses conflict. Isn't it true? Whenever you forgive, it just, you know, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five. and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against one, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You know what Jesus also said? That the reason why people end up in divorce court is because of the hardness of heart. And that's in Matthew 19, In verse 8, Jesus said, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. Now, some of us are are godly and we're we're, we're Christians and we're going to heaven. But sometimes we have hard hearts. Why? Because we've been offended so many times. We've been hurt so many times. Our hearts have been calloused and they become hardened. When your heart becomes hardened, you no longer have any room to love your spouse anymore, and the feelings go, everything goes, your desire goes, everything goes out the window, and there's nothing to hold you in that marriage anymore. You know, hard hearts, I believe, is accumulation of a lot of offenses. And you know, sometimes we're offending each other, and we don't even realize it, but if we would look in the countenance of our spouse, we would see that the light's not on. Amen? And the only way to turn that thing around is to, is to repent. It's to repent and ask forgiveness and to quit doing what we're doing. Amen? Why do we fight? The Bible says that we fight because i got to have my way. Because I'm selfish and it's got to go my way. And i got to have the last say and all that stuff. But we need brokenness in our marriages, saints of God. Amen? How does two people become one? Through brokenness. We've got to be broken. Some of us are biblically hardened. 
And we need to be softened by the Spirit of God. Amen? And I know a one sermon will not do that for you. You need the Spirit of God to plow up the fallow ground of your heart for you to have a broken heart. Amen? And then, then we can have unity in our marriages. So some of us, you know, we came into marriage with a hard heart because we've been so hurt, so abused. But God has the amazing ability to give us a new heart. Amen? And so I want to encourage you today. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that every marriage that's represented in this room today has have had reasons to be offended. We're, we're not perfect people. We're going to mess up. We live in the flesh. It's hard to not operate out of the carnal side of life. But I tell you, we got to forgive each other. We got to, come on, can we start from scratch? See, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. And just forgive your spouse. Release them from all the offenses. And ask God to give you a new heart. Because it's the only hope whenever your heart has been hardened. Amen? Would you stand with me? Just bow your head with me and and come on, just... Be transparent today. Come on. You know, be real today. Be real today. Come on. God wants to change your marriage. If you're a Christian and you're married, you know, there's no reason to live, to live like that. Your spouse might not be here. You don't have any control over your your husband or your wife. The only thing you have control over is yourself. But life is too short. The price tag is too high to allow this unity, to allow a disruption of harmony of our marriages. We need God to do a miracle. Can we ask the Lord right now to just release His grace? Come on, let's just go before the Lord and And just ask Him, Father, we need Your mercy. The marriages are under attack. The enemy is trying to disrupt, destroy, break up homes. Oh, there's so much. There's so much. There's so much hurt in in our society. But God's amazing grace has the ability to bring healing. Father God, we look to You today. Father, we look to You. Come on, right there where You are. Just say, God, I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't want to have a callous heart. I don't want to be bitter. God, I want to have a a pure heart. Come on, our goal is not to do it for our spouse. Our goal to do it is to please God. And He says, forgive. Father God, we ask for Your grace to be released right now over this place. I pray for the grace of forgiveness, the grace of mercy, God. Lord, we need Your mercy. We need Your forgiveness. And I pray You would release it over this place today in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank You, God, for releasing Your grace, God.
Come on, some of the marriages in this room right now can turn around. Come on, just release it and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. Heal me. Thank you, Father. Now, those of you that are married are here right now. Would you grab the hand of your spouse right now? And and let's pray for the marriages in this place today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Let's take a moment. We need God's grace over our marriages. Tanya, would you you join me? There's a spiritual assault on marriages. Amen? So let's stand. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord right now. And let's just ask the Lord to release grace over every marriage. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you cover every one of our marriages today. We pray that you place a hedge around us. We pray that you cover us with the blood of Jesus. God, we pray that you break the spiritual strongholds and the the attacks of the enemy off of every family and every home today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we're praying for the miraculous to happen. We're praying for strong marriages, Lord, for good marriages to get great, for mad for bad marriages to get better today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for the grace of God that's being released right now on every family that is represented in this congregation today. In the mighty name of Jesus, the wisdom of God, the blessing of God, the provision of God, be upon marriages in this place today. In Jesus' name, thank you, God, for grace upon grace upon grace Jesus name we pray amen amen now you do I, I just had this this idea this thought that some of us that are single need to be healed need to be graced of God amen so that whenever we get married we don't bring a bunch of baggage into that because a lot of us have had bad examples of what marriage is supposed to be like. Amen? So all the singles in the place, would you just raise your hand? And I want to pray for you right now and pray for God's grace to be upon you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you touch every single person in this place right now. Lord, we've, we live in a broken society. We've been marred by brokenness, by abuse, by mistreatment, by harshness. Lord, I pray right now for all our singles right now that God, you would just begin washing their lives, washing their minds, gracing their lives with supernatural grace, that Lord, they may be, Lord, ready to receive that that God's gift, that, that spouse that you have ordained for them to be married to today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thank you, honey. Amen. All right. So, I encourage you to... Uh, to go work on it. Amen? Amen.